Hey everyone, welcome back to another season of Data Driven Health Radio. I'm your host, Dave Korsunsky. On this show, we dive deep into how you can use data to measure, manage, and optimize your health with the latest science and technology. This show is brought to you by Heads Up, which is our web and mobile app designed for individuals and healthcare professionals who need a precise way to measure and manage health data. Check us out at headsuphealth.com. If you've got comments, questions, or feedback on this show, shoot us an email, support at headsuphealth.com. We'd love to hear from you. And with that said, let's get into our next exciting episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Data Driven Health Radio. I'm your host, Dave Korsunsky. And today we are blessed to have my new bestie officially in the health and wellness scene, Dr. Lara Varden. Dr. Lara, I'll read your bio here in a second. It's extensive and awesome. But first, I just want to say hi and welcome to the show. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation. Yeah, you and I met a few weeks ago now down in Miami. We were at the 2023 Biohacking Congress event down there. And through one of our mutual colleagues, we ended up at the same dinner table together. And seven bottles of wine later, I think I lost count. Uh, <laughs> and some we fantastic were, food. Oh, yeah. But what we just had this amazing conversation and it continued on for hours into the night. And it was just a super fun night and great vibe. So um, I'm excited for our conversation. I know a lot of our listeners will be excited. And we're, we're going to unpack the world of genomic testing within integrative health, which is vast and complicated, but also, I think, really an essential component of health that we should understand when we're looking at how do we approach a specific intervention or a program or a protocol, and, and why does it work for one person and not work for another person? And how do my genetics really tell me, okay, so what do I really need to focus on? Because that's going to be different than the next person. You know, we have these general ideas that work good, weight loss, stress management, those types of things, uh, predisposition to certain conditions, but it's, it's different for everybody. And if we can figure out what really drives those differences, that dictates how we approach our health and wellness routine. So a ton of really exciting stuff to unpack here, including the work you're doing at the DNA company to educate practitioners on how to do all this stuff, which is awesome. But first for our listeners here, I'll just introduce you, Laura, and your background. So Laura's a big brain. She has um, <laughs> a lot of letters and credentials, but let's just break them down here. So multi-credentialed scientist. So you've got a really strong research background in how you come at this, which is important because that research mindset and the rigor behind research, I think, is incredibly important when you're working with genetics so, so that we we approach things logically and we don't just kind of like get lost in the weeds and stay at the surface level. So having that research background, I think, is really interesting in the way you're now almost an educator in genetics, a board-certified holistic practitioner, licensed ecclesiastic, you're going to have to help me on that one. Yeah, <laughs> it's a ecclesi ecclesiastical holistic practitioner. Certified functional genomics practitioner, relevant here, certified functional nutrition and lifestyle counselor, clinician at the DNA company, and that's work we're going to unpack here, which is really, really fascinating on the education side, uh, spearheading sacred genomics as co-founder 
and CEO. And that's an area, time permitting, I'd, I'd really love to just dip our toe into, into that side of the equation. I know we, we talked extensively about that and, and even how some of your knowledge came to you, I think actually is really fascinating. So um, I'd love to have time for that adjunct professor at Clarkson University's biology department and expertise in cellular biology, molecular genetics, biochemistry, neuroscience, functional nutrition, and your own personal practice focuses on functional genomics and holistic health. Dr. Varden's passions lie in educating and empowering individuals and groups with untapped knowledge to enhance energy, immunity, and healing from chronic ailments. So that's a lot of our mission, too, here at Heads Up. Guided by the motto of service to others, I mean, you don't really have to say more. That kind of sums it all up right there. That's how all of our mottos should be, in my humble opinion. She believes in everyone's inherent right and capacity for love, joy, and self-healing. She optimizes epigenetics. That's a large part of what we're going to talk about today. Okay, I got dealt a hand of cards, aka my genetics. Now, how do I play the hand here so that I I win the tournament? You know, that's basically what we're doing here. Tournament's just basically life and emphasizes biohacking, longevity, and healthy aging. So just absolutely awesome background. Dr. Lara, thank you for sharing your expertise with us here today. Well, thank you for providing this incredible platform to educate others, not just people as patients and clients, but the practitioners that help them, that help guide them, because really it comes down to that education, to that empowerment, because it's those people that do the work, the clients, the patients are doing the work. All we're doing is giving them the tools in which to do that. So, you know, shining a light and providing them the opportunity to fulfill their best life and to let them know that it is inside them. So. I love that, Laura. That's why I started Heads Up. Heads Up existed initially as a way for me to understand my own health and monitor it. There were a lot of shortcomings in the conventional healthcare system with how health data is looked at. Even trying to look at my blood tests from my different doctors was impossible. So Heads Up serves as a platform to help other people obtain their state of optimal well-being, mostly through the analysis of the data. And you're doing that in, in a different way. So we're similar missions, which is how do we empower people to have agency over their health? And then also, how do we create the tools so we can empower the practitioners who are working with these people? We're not inside of a conventional health system working in the insurance game. We're working on lifestyle-based therapies, integrative approaches, understanding root cause. So the practitioners that you and I are serving, Lara, we need to give them the tools to be successful. And that's where I see the similarities in our work at Heads Up with the work you're doing on the um, genomic side. And I have to say that a lot of it is reframing how healthcare is done. To actually when look at the person sitting in front of you as an individual to help them where they are at and guide them to yeah. really listen. And I think that that's what has been lacking in Western medicine or in our system today, okay, that you only have like 10, 15 minutes if you're lucky, mm-hmm. that you barely are being heard and listened to and things are done so quickly. 
And that's got to change when we're really looking at making major changes in a person's life. There is the position of the physician and their primary care physician. And and yes, they are necessary. But then it's at home, what they're doing every day, looking at their environment. There's such a huge gap because the practitioners, they can't do that. They can't handhold the clients at this point. I mean, just time-wise, you know, we're still trying to move that needle and expand, but this is where there is a huge vacuum of that gap where it is so needed, where we come in and say, okay, let me fill that gap of taking a look at what's going on. Now let's get a complete history. I spend a good hour, hour and a half with someone just in their first session, you know, and that's even after they filled out, you know, a, a very extensive intake form, like 20, 28 pages, because I really want to dig deep. I even want to know how was your birth? Hmm. You know, was it a vaginal delivery as compared to a C-section? Was there So you're going right back to, right back to the very, 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 very beginning. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, even preconception looking, too. It makes a difference. It Ancestral. really does. Yes. And when you're talking about generational traumas, because it's not just about the physical, it's not just about the genetics, Mm -hmm. you know, it is about that transition and the carryover that can be healed. So, well, you know, one way to look at DNA is, is data storage. And there's even experiments where they've stored binary computer information inside of DNA. So it's kind of like mother nature's memory stick. You know what I mean? That And so there can be information encoded from a generation that gets stored and passed on through lineage. So it's important when we talk about genomics to also understand that there's an ancestral component there as well. And so bit of a tangent, but I would imagine that's also what you're getting into. I bring that up because you mentioned going back to even at birth and what type of birth did you have? But you could even go back further than that when you're looking at working with someone from a holistic or genomic perspective and and figure out, are there ancestral patterns, both positive and negative? You look at uh, families of athletes and their offspring, they're just, they're going to, chances are, they're going to be very successful in the same sport their parents were in. On the other side of the coin, there's people who are generations down from Holocaust survivors. So there's there's different things. I don't want to only focus on ancestral health as looking at like mm-hmm. negative trauma, right? There's there's right. lots of information that gets stored and passed down. Am I understanding that right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, granted, the DNA tests that we have do not reveal that type of information. Yeah, we can't you read know. that data yet. Right. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> but it is that genetic blueprint gives us a layout of going, okay, this is what we have to work with. But then it's it is the practitioner asking the questions, listening to the answers, really diving in and finding out what the rich history is that makes this person up and puts them awesome. in front of you that day. Yeah, and for that, that time period that you can walk with them on that path. Mm-hmm. of health, of navigating not just physical health, but mental health, emotional health. And the nice thing is, is that in genetics, especially the way that we interpret it, we can actually take a look and see how do you process information? How do you think? How do you 
remember situations? Are you more impacted, not just physiologically, but emotionally in a stress state when you are remembering situations? For example, there are people, they get into a car accident. Some, it is so traumatizing, they freeze and it's like they can't drive again for a long time. Other people, Mm -hmm. they can turn around, rent a car and drive the same day, you know, as long as they're not, you know, physically injured, you know, terribly injured. But, and it's just like, why that happened? Why is there such a difference in the reaction of these situations? Well, we've figured that out and have ideas based on their genes. And we have an entire section on mood and behavior on this genes that we look at their dopamine receptors, the COMPT gene that clears the neurotransmitters as well as MAO, looking at their ADRA2B gene, which works for their noradrenaline receptors, looking at the 5-HTTLPR gene, which looks at the serotonin receptors and the way that it's transported and utilized. All this gives us clues into the functionality and how the person presents. And it's not that any particular profile is good or bad. Because honestly, any profile can have good or bad proclivities. It really is in the context of which, you know, this person is presented that they could either go down a more problematic road or a very beneficial road where they could go down a road of addiction or binging or one of entrepreneurship and reward. It really depends on that context and also aware of it. That's what really makes a difference. And totally. that's the whole Awareness. point of what we are doing is oh, man, teaching I love that. people yep. about yep. their genes. This is what you have to work with. You do not have to be a victim of your genes. By well, even just knowing, knowing that you have them is empowering. Whether you yes. do anything or not, you can never unlearn that someone educated you on. I keep using this poker analogy, right? Like you got a hand cards. Mm-hmm. And so even someone explaining to me who doesn't play poker, this is what you have to work with. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that's empowering, just awareness. You know, same with us here at Heads Up. We'll show you some data and we'll show you your blood sugar levels, for example. That we're looking to develop an awareness. When there's an awareness as the spark, then we create the conditions for change. So even just, just the basic awareness, just to segue a bit, my awareness, Dr. Lara, started back in the day. I've been in this this world of health optimization biohacking for a really long time before any of the genetic tests were even available. Okay, so I remember when some of the first direct-to-consumer tests were coming on the market. This was empowering. I got my 23andMe data run at that time. And this was when you could get access to all your raw data in there as well. And there were practitioners out there that were running analysis of your raw data, and they were helping you find even more stuff than you got inside the 23andMe portal, for example. So that's how I first started developing my own awareness. I did my own test. And what I love here in the United States is that it's not the same in other countries, especially with like consumers who want to order their own labs. Here in the U.S., as an individual, empowered individual, we can pretty much order anything we want. It doesn't mean we know what to do with all the information, but at least we can do it. So for me, my awareness started with 23andMe, and I learned some things from that data. We can talk about those, like the MTHFR stuff. 
And then I did another test. My awareness continued with a company called Nutrition Genome. And Nutrition Genome runs your genomics. And they're looking for things that can be directly applicable to your diet. And then we worked with another company. And they were looking specifically at how your body would respond to CBD and cannabis medicinally. And then there's other companies that show you pharmacogenomics, like what medications should I avoid or have a side effect to. So that's the awareness part of it for me. So maybe that's kind of a segue to what I really initially wanted to ask you about is how does one as an individual or as a practitioner who wants to get this information on their clients, actually, let's take that question first. How do you start the awareness process? So how does, if you're a practitioner listening and you want to start incorporating this type of information into your programs, let's just start with the basics. How do you even get someone tested? Well, uh, actually, what we do have is we have a practitioner's portal where you can actually uh, sign up and become an affiliate to be able to order the tests, to have it either chipped. If you have a brick and mortar, you can have tests at your uh, saliva. This is saliva. Just this is saliva. Yes. Yes, it is saliva. And uh, where you can actually have the tests, give it to your clients, and then, you know, about four weeks or so later, get the results, you get emailed, they get emailed, and then you can go over it. Now, also have a uh, DNA university where we teach clinicians how to interpret this. We actually yeah, it's, through it's and massively it is a, complicated. It's accredited as well, this course. Okay. And so you can actually go through, learn all about it. Dr. Mansoor actually has done a wonderful job breaking down a lot of this. We also have a lot of other videos and training materials that I've actually helped create because I have a background in teaching. I actually, my first degree was in education. So the thing is, is that, (laughs) yes, actually talk about generational. My mother is- (laughs) There you go. Right on point. (laughs) Precisely. You got those now, Jeans. So really, we prepare them to be able to do the interpretations. I mean, if they don't have time and if that's not something they want to dive into, it still is something that they can order the test. They can just go to the dnacompany.com. They can also access or email our client care or Allison Henry is actually the one in charge for helping clinicians come in to be affiliate practitioners and use our product for their clients. So again, they can be trained to do the interpretation and do it themselves, or they can have it done and they can work with one of us for that interpretation. You know, depending I got on- you. So you'll help them on the interpretation part if yes. necessary. And then there's a way to order kits. And there's there's lots of different ways to get this data in general, but it's a saliva test. Yes. That, that your patient or client, it depends where you are on the spectrum there in terms of what word you use. But in general, there's a saliva test that's done, uh, whether it's through DNA company, through you guys, or through services that are looking at other specific types of things. I know my, my dad just got some genetics that came back with blood work. You know, they added like the MTHFR onto like right. the routine blood work. So there's also some that can be detected through blood work. Is that right, Laura? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, all you need is to have some sort of cells to get the DNA because the DNA is housed inside the cells inside the nucleus. 
I mean, really, it like from Questor LabCorp, right? Like you go to Questor Mm -hmm. LabCorp, you can order certain ones, presumably like, hey, give me the status of MTHFR. It's nowhere near as extensive as what you'd get from like a report from DNA company, which is going to go much deeper. Traditionally, that's how I see it is like there's some you can get from conventional labs, but to really get a full report with full interpretation that cites all the research that gives you the treatment protocols. That I see, I feel like you need to go to a specialized company, yes. like DNA company, for example. Right. And you also have to notate the fact of the differences between our DNA reports and other genetic reports. Because a lot sure. of times other genetic reports, like from Quest or whatever, when they're doing the blood work and they're looking at the MTHFR, they're just looking at the SNP and that's where it goes. But What about that? Because when you are looking at these genes and at the particular SNPs, what that tells you is a propensity from the genetic level to a particular disease. We take a step, big step forward and further by going, okay, well, there is a propensity, for example, Alzheimer's, okay? A lot of times this is your ApoE gene that's looked at regarding that. And they say, okay, you've got a 70 to 80% chance of getting Alzheimer's. And it's like, okay. So what we do is say, okay, well, yeah, you may be and have that propensity, but you have a 20 to 30% chance of not getting it. So now let's look at everything else and let's make sure you go down that road and change the context to make sure you are within that 20 to 30% that doesn't get it. That's how we play our cards. Yes. Exactly. That's the fun part. And then, well, so this is getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here, but just to back up. So there's a test to be done, right? And there's different ways to acquire and obtain that. There's an interpretation to be done. And if you have the expertise or some practitioners are looking specifically at the same thing, like APOE4, and they know exactly how to treat it, and they're very comfortable doing the interpretation themselves. In other cases, there's a much more holistic picture that needs to be looked at in the context of, of an entire health spectrum for a person. So there's the test, and then there's an interpretation of the information. And then, like you said, okay, now we know what cards we have, and how do we play the cards? Now we're getting into more like what I call execution mode, or like what program or protocol do I need to do? So let's just pick up on that APOE4 example. So How do you start to then say, okay, how do I make sure you land in that 20 to 30% of people who are not going to get it? Because that's that's really what we're after here, right? Is is how do we make sure we influence the outcome of the game in our favor? And what can we do there? How would you counsel someone on that for APOE4? Okay, so I liked the word that you said, the game, because (laughs) honestly, it is something that we need to be mindful and careful of that genes do not exist in a vacuum. Yep. There are so many other things going on. It's just like a player on the team. A single player cannot play the game. You need to have the other players. And when we are looking at the cardiovascular system, and that's one of our systems that we look at, there are several genes. So it's not just APOE because APOE is the enzyme, it's actually an LDL cholesterol, what they call the bad cholesterol. And I don't like that. That's not the right word. I don't know. I don't agree right. with the good, the good or bad word either. Exactly. But it's, because it's very necessary. It's a whole right. nother conversation. 
But the whole point, its whole job is to transport cholesterol from the liver to the site of inflammation in the cardiovascular system because cholesterol is used as an inflammation management tool. So when you have any type of inflammation, microabrasions from toxins or whatever in the cardiovascular system, in the blood, it creates inflammation. Well, it's not like you can open up, slap on some you know, neosporin and a Band-Aid to protect it. Our bodies, in its infinite wisdom, has a way to deal with this. It takes that LDL cholesterol that, because cholesterol cannot move along the blood on its own, it has to be taxied. So that's what LDL does. It is the taxi. It goes down to the liver, grabs the cholesterol, brings it to the site of inflammation, and smooths that cholesterol on like a salve on that site of inflammation. Well, it's not the LDL's fault. It's not, oh, well, there's a lot of it, then we got to throw statins at it to get those numbers down. Well, okay, yeah, it may bring the numbers down, but is it helping with the root cause? Well, you might be making it worse. With the statins. Exactly. I will say statins do not stop heart attacks. <laughs> As folks yeah, but if you're if say. you're trying to keep cholesterol down, but there's a genetic predisposition to a cardiovascular-based or a Alzheimer's-based application, and now you're suppressing the very molecules that the body's needing to do its job, you're actually making the situation worse. So Are you testing everybody on statin before you give it to them for their genetics? We're not doing that today. So this is where it starts to get interesting. There's a gene that says whether and how well you metabolize statins and whether Mm. you should be on them or not. Interesting. So, but I mean, there's a lot of tangents and rabbit holes we can go Totally. This is conceptual, but it's helpful (laughs) to illustrate where some of the really important decision points are on this treatment spectrum. And and every equation is unique. Equation Mm -hmm. being an individual, the the card's got to get played a little differently, but we're bringing really important things to life here. Like how do pharmaceuticals affect this stuff? And so it's part of this whole picture that you're painting for us on how to use this information. But we're still hanging out on a branch with Alzheimer's, with the cholesterol levels being up, which is like a whole other thing, because I think the levels that are within normal range, I don't think that is functionally workable and that a little bit higher cholesterol levels is actually not such a bad thing, depending on looking at the larger picture. It's like looking at the Mona Lisa through a straw. Yes, you see part of it very nicely, beautifully, but you're not seeing the whole picture. So we have to move that straw. We need to back up. And we also have to start traveling down to the roots going, okay, why is there inflammation to begin with? Because when we're talking about inflammation or anything else that is affecting the brain, and yes, this does get to Alzheimer's, okay? The fact is that there's inflammation going on in the cardiovascular system, okay? That's why the cholesterol is needed. So instead of worrying about the levels of LDLs, let's find out why are we having or why is that person having the inflammation to begin with. What is their toxic load? Looking more at the other genes involved, how well do they manage the... Detoxification, uh, for example. That is such a huge thing. Absolutely. And Methylation. Methylation being one. A few of the other phase two detoxification pathways that we cover is glucuronidation, a glutathione conjugation. We also do antioxidation that happens in the mitochondria, which actually straddles your phase one and phase two detoxification. 
So we look at, okay, backing it up, what is causing these toxins? How come you have such a high toxic load? Because one is, are your detoxification pathways suboptimal? Is there some issues there that we need to support? But it's not just in the genes that can tell us some things, but it it doesn't say and mean that you are going to have a rough time. This is where asking the questions, looking at the person in front of us and diving deep, going, okay, yes, what is your environment look like? Are you living in a moldy house? What is your job? Are you exposed to other kinds of toxins? Are you eating uh, gluten that it might not so much be the gluten sensitivity, but the glyphosate that is in it? Because we in the U.S. and Canada use Roundup and we douse it with as a stuff. drying agent. And it's, yeah. yeah. And I mean, unfortunately. And, and what is it? Correct me if I'm wrong here, Laura, but glyphosate was first used as an industrial chemical mm-hmm. to clean the insides of like pipes. Am I right I, about that? I'm trying to remember exactly. Anyhow, that. We, that, I, that's a whole, I, I, I don't want to open that can of worms. Right. But let's just say we douse the shit out of it with glyphosate here in the U.S. Corn, yes. wheat, other things of that nature. And that has impacts on the microbiomes. So diet basically is an important part of it. Yes. Which talk about lending yourself down this road of just, oh my gosh, opening up a can of worms, because the thing is, everything is connected. And when you're looking at your toxic load, okay, when I look at someone and if they're having some cardiovascular issues, first of all, we look at their hardware. How are they built? How sensitive is their endothelial lining of their vasculature, how easily do they become inflamed? Because that Mm -hmm. can inform us of several different things. And also then looking at the detox, how well are they detoxing? Because it's not just in support, more so in mitigation, making sure let's lower the exposure because we don't want our bodies to be climbing up a mountain with a 150 pound pack and hands tied behind their back. I mean, it's just like, let's unload some of that stress. Let's unload some of that weight and untie the hands so it can actually do its job more efficiently. So, so let me let me ping you on the detoxification part, Laura, because as okay. you were mentioning that some things, examples came up for me. One way that we detoxify is through sweat. But like some people don't exercise to the point where they're sweating. Some people don't exercise at all. Some people can't for physical reasons. Some people are just not motivated to exercise or they do, but it's not enough to induce a therapeutic effect to detox. So then you say, okay, so what could we do there? It's very easy to get access to like infrared sauna, for instance. Mm -hmm. So if you saw someone on the detox part of things, there's lots of things we can do to say, okay, you have suboptimal detoxification, at least from what we can see genetically. And here are some ways we can support that. What are some other things you might recommend there? Well, one of the first things I want to know, are they pooping? And what does it look like? (laughs) Exactly. You've got to start from the bottom up because defecation, urination are your two major ways of releasing toxins. When you're looking Mm -hmm. at the, even at a cellular level, the detoxification phases that happen in the liver, The whole point is getting those toxins, which are fat-soluble, and making them water-soluble that can mix with bile serum to be peed out, okay? Mm -hmm. So starting from the bottom up, because if you're not, that's got to be addressed immediately. 
And a lot of people, it's surprising, they don't realize what a normal defecation should be. You should be going three times a day, at the very least once a day. But basically, how many ever times you eat, like if you have three meals, you should have three defecations. But doing that every day, you shouldn't be straining. It should be a nice brownish color. You've got to be careful if it's black, you know, could have blood in it and et cetera. And there's actually uh, the Bristol stool chart that people. Yeah, we actually track that in heads up. It's like a one to six that Mm -hmm. and it helps a practitioner because it helps a practitioner just because you're even having normal bowel movement is one thing. But then the composition of it determines whether your body's actually absorbing anything from the food or it it could indicate another or if there's, they're dehydrated yeah. or if there is something going on in their system. And I mean, because if they're having a lot of diarrhea or if they're constipated or both going back and forth, that gives us information. So that is really important. But when it comes to detoxification, you don't start with a detox protocol. You start to make sure that they are eliminating. Totally and makes sense. Yeah, even with urine, Dr. Lara, like I started tracking my hydration levels for a while just to see how much I got. Uh, First of all, shocker, once you actually measure it, you realize that you're not drinking as much water as you think you are. So I challenged myself for a while to get to like 128 ounces a day. And now, admittedly, I I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, (laughs) and I'm playing tennis outside in the middle of the summer. So like my requirements are higher than normal. But just being able to look after urination and make sure that it's clear. You know, like even just well, getting your body to that level is not yeah. that easy, honestly. No, from but you, you got to be careful. You, you don't want it totally clear. You want it to be like a very pale yellowish, almost like gotcha. a soft hay color. Because if it's totally clear, that means you could actually be diluting your fluids. And I've definitely where... pushed it to that level. So when I probably am over-consuming either um, water or green tea or, or whatever it is I'm using. So I have pushed it to that level yeah. when I've been doing my testing. And I will say for something that you need for life, which is water, even at very high levels can actually be deadly. There was a story years ago at one of the universities I went to where some stupidity of a fraternity, they didn't want to give the person alcohol to chug and chug. So they gave him water and he ended up chugging so many gallons at once. He ended up dying because he diluted his system so much that it crashed. So even water at way too high of a concentration without the electrolytes is deadly. So well, this it's just is water where... quality in general is a whole yeah. another, another thing, right? Oh, like yes. someone could be consuming water, but there's chemicals in the groundwater that have crept in. So like, anyhow, this is all in this detoxification. We right. There's a lot to unpack there, but we're giving some examples of how you're going to support someone when you're looking at them holistically, because you started at like, oh, there's a cardiovascular risk marker here, mm-hmm. this APOE, genetically speaking. And then we said, okay, well, that's great. But like, why is the inflammation even there in the first place? You know, mm-hmm. which is really the million dollar question. So then you're saying, okay, now I'm starting to look at these other systems in the body and trying to identify root cause. Is that correct? Correct. And it's also something, if you are looking at a particular predisposition like Alzheimer's, well, there's other factors involved. 
like the plaque deposition of beta amyloids, tau proteins. And it's like, okay, so how do we get rid of that? Well, that gets into deep sleep. So here's another area that we have to focus on. How are they sleeping? Are they getting enough deep sleep? Because that is the time that your body that the glymphatic system actually clears that. And that's when the glial cells actually shrink up to 60% of their size. And you have the cerebral spinal fluid flush like a, a dishwasher, you know, flushing out those proteins in the brain. And then it goes down the spinal fluid and then gets cleared and flushed. And actually... Martin Walker wrote the book, Why We Sleep, and he gets into these studies and talks about that. So, Well, then, sorry to cut you off there, Laura, but then you have the aura ring, and Mm -hmm. you can get a really good sense. If you're a practitioner and your client has an aura ring, you have a really good way to tell, not just are they sleeping, but what is the quality of that rest? You know, the sensors are getting so good, I can see roughly how much time this person is spending in, in various stages of sleep. It's not perfect. But it's it's pretty damn close. You know, the, the ring is like the gold standard. So now you can start to see when are they going to bed, when they're getting up, how restful is the sleep, and making sure that people go to bed the right way, like going to bed without alcohol, without any cannabis. I like cannabis recreationally, but before bed, it's not good. It messes with HRV and brain function, all that other kind of stuff. Make sure you're not going to bed with a full stomach. Make sure the room is nice. And, so then there's a ton of things you can do to optimize sleep. But not just optimize it, but then actually get the data back to see it working. You know, I've looked at enough people's aura data now where I can just immediately dial in on quality of rest. You know, so now you're you're starting to address that bucket. And then there's there's probably other systems you can branch off to as well. Oh, absolutely. You mentioned HRV. I mean, that goes into the quality of the health of your body. And I mean, that can branch off into several different areas. But I wanted to touch back on all the different ways that we can address the particular Alzheimer's predisposition. Yeah. Knowing that aluminum, there's been a lot of research. Dr. Christopher Exley has done quite a bit of research. There's another one, and I forgot his name off the tip of my head, but anyway, has done research on aluminum and its association for Alzheimer's. And we are so inundated with aluminum, the cans, the foils, the- Isn't it in vaccines now? Yes, because it's used as an adjuvant. They switched it from mercury or something like that? Yes. I mean, they've actually always used it. They have gotten away from thimerosal, which is the mercury, except in flu vaccines. They actually still have it in the flu vaccines. So yeah, that's a whole other story. But when we're talking about aluminum, aluminum, yeah, yeah, aluminum, it is a neurotoxin. And actually, that's why they use it as an adjuvant to help incite the system to activate the immune system Mm -hmm. as a defense. Exactly. So that can be deposited in the brain. And that also has, like I said, has been associated to Alzheimer's. Well, how do we get rid of it? Well, thankfully, to his research and to the other doctor's research, they found that silicon-rich water helps to remove that. So just drinking silicon-rich water helps. There are other ways as well, but I mean, for something as simple as that. So, so this you know, is fascinating, though. You're starting at at the result of the test, right? You're starting at the APOE that comes back on the report. Right. Okay. There's a seventy percent chance, and there's other conditions as well. We're just using right. this as an illustrative example, but you could find some other SNP that predisposes someone to something else. But anyhow, let's just stick with that example. So you're like, okay, here it is. And now you just start double-clicking down 
into different layers to figure out, okay, what systems am I really going to focus on here with this person, like you said, sitting across from me? And then the question comes up is like, okay, what other data can I gather besides just the genetic information that's going to help me put the strategy together? So do they have some way to provide some aura ring data, for example? Okay, actually, your sleep looks really good. It's clean and there's good hygiene there and I can see all that's under control. Maybe for the APO example, I also want to look at your blood sugar levels. So could I get you to maybe wear a continuous glucose monitor for two weeks? Because the Alzheimer's also has correlations to insulin resistance. Right. They actually call it type 3 diabetes. Exactly. So, okay, now let me see what your blood sugars look like. Like I've looked at enough people's CGM data. What do I want to look at? Well, how high does it go after you're eating a meal? How long does it take to come back down? Is that a normal postprandial curve? How many times is it spiking? You know, am I having five sodas a day and my blood sugar is hitting 220 five times a day? So now you're gathering more information. You can get some information. What's your fasting? You don't even have to wear a CGM. What's your blood sugar when you wake up in the morning before you do anything? Right? Just give me that for a week. <laughs> I can get some data on blood sugar. I can get some data on body composition. I could ask for their blood test results. So are you compiling these external data sets when you're doing your consultations? Are you asking for that if it's available? How does that all fit into the picture here? Yeah. So what we do, actually, we have been expanding our services. That's that's where we partner, by the way, Heads Up DNA. Yes. And I'll tell you what, this is something that we go far beyond just the genetic testing, the the functional genomics, because we now are including a 44 venipuncture blood test. We are doing gut 360. So we're looking at the microbiome. Uh, Mm -hmm. We are doing the PGX testing, like you had mentioned earlier from others, where we're looking at your DNA and how does that relate to medications? How well are you processing these? Are they something that you should be on that you shouldn't be on? Because even though, yes, we would all like to be medication free, in some respects, there are some times that we do need them. And we obviously want things to be at their optimum and for our bodies to be able to utilize it accordingly. So uh, tons of great ones out there that I would use. I mean, there's totally 100% a place for those as part of a complementary protocol. So With all of these different things and our expanded services and testing, we also have, we've partnered with age rate and we have our DNA gene. So which is a DNA uh, methylation. So we're actually getting a nice picture of where are you right now? So that way, when we start implementing these protocols, these recommendations based on your genetics, based on the epigenetics, based on your environment, lifestyle, diet, all of these different things, when we start making the changes that is a beautiful data point that we can take a look and say, okay, you've done all this work. Now let's see how many years you have saved yourself. You know, how many years you have added. Oh yeah. That's what I presented at that biohacking Congress. It was exactly that. It's like, hey, let's get the lifestyle factors optimized, environment, diet, exercise. Okay, great. Then you go do your lab tests again. Then you go run your your biological age tests. And it's very, very easy to run the same test you ran two years ago and see that you've actually improved your methylation levels, for example, or whatever, to the point where you've added years back to your lifespan. That's where the whole feedback loop 
comes together okay. is sure you've got genetic information to start with, but then you optimize the system. And one of the things I said in my presentation was you can actually start to get biologically younger. Oh, yeah. As you get chronologically older, older. and that is a, like, I want to get on Isn't that, that program. That sounds super exciting. I have this test sitting on my desk here. I haven't ran it yet. This one, it's telomeres. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's... Are you familiar uh, with that one? I've heard of it, uh, and yeah. I do know the science behind it, obviously. So, because they test telomeres, and you can also test DNA methylation. Yeah. So... Uh, I'm doing them all. Just oh. because I need to test them all. I'm doing the methylation <laughs> yeah. test, the telomere test. I think Thorne also has one just off regular blood work. So like I'm running all the longevity tests. And in fact, a lot of the practitioners we work with on Heads Up, they'll have their clients test the biological age from multiple vectors. So right. it's not just methylation or telomere. They're measuring that. They're measuring the glycans for inflammation. So you can measure this in multiple ways. Actually, okay. it's good to look at it from different ways. And then you rinse and repeat and re-optimize and, and retest. Well, the more data points you have, the richer the picture becomes. Mm -hmm. And you can't track it or you can't hack it unless you track it. And I did take that from Dave Asprey. I love the way that he says that because it's true. It's like, we need to have some sort of benchmark of where are we starting and yep. if the work that we're doing is actually making a difference. And I don't want to say just objective data because subjective data is also important because totally the person agree. has to feel good. They have to feel like they have energy. Community, love, support, depression, yes. anxiety, like these things don't necessarily show up in the biomarkers. Maybe it's already debatable, but that's a really important part of it is just mm -hmm. it's well, could it be state like of mind. intrinsic it, or that psycho spiritual health. How do we even look at the emotional part of the equation. And Dr. Lara, this is a good segue here out of kind of like the very sciencey world of genomics and pathways and lab tests and all the other kinds of things. But it's a segue through your, you're mentioning subjective data, but just like, are they in a loving home environment? Do they have community around them? Right? All that's, all the DNA tests in the world and all the biohacks go out the window if you don't have a, a safe home where you well, feel secure. context. Yeah. That works into context. Your genetic basis, depending on your environment, if you are in an abusive relationship or in a toxic environment, yeah, that's not going to present very well, no matter what genetic profile you have. It's just it will show up in different ways based on your genetic profile. And so absolutely, it does come down to tapping into the self-healing because where our thoughts go, energy flows. And we do have the power to self-heal. Regardless this thing right up of here, our mind, our spirit, yes. our intention. You know, tapping in to the greater source, source of all that is into our higher selves, into that uh, metaphysical aspect that actually is more, is more scientific than we realize. It's just a lot of times we don't have the devices to be able to measure it, but it has a scientific basis. But we should never discount just because we may not be able to measure it in a way that fits our paradigms. It still exists and it's still very powerful. I mean, myself having a very personal experience with that and I, I've seen others have miraculous healings 
with nothing else changing except from here and tapping into source, higher self, into that power of self-healing. Well, that's part of my own journey as well, Dr. Lara. And I had a lot of those mutations that could have been problematic for me. I have Mm -hmm. MTHFR, you know, I have COMT, I have all the genes that you would associate as um, potentially um, harmful, addictive behavior, all that kind of stuff. But what I did was I used lifestyle therapies. And for me, it started with learning uh, mindfulness meditation, Vipassana meditation. So that was my first foray. I was always very data-oriented around health. So I always tracked really carefully. So I was always in a good place. But I started to also realize that that wasn't enough. And I realized that I had to start to learn more of the ways to manage myself that were more about spirit. And so that for me started with just silent meditation. That was something I had to learn. Nobody teaches you this stuff. Where the hell do you even go to figure that out? Luckily, I was living in San Francisco at the time, and there was an amazing retreat center called Spirit Rock Meditation Center. It's uh, Jack Cornfield um, okay. is the guy who uh, his center out there. So I just started learning how to sit with my eyes closed. First of all, what happens when you do that? Your breath rate comes down. So like even just closing your eyes and breathing, your body mm-hmm. starts to slow down. You can't stop it. It's it just right. it just so your heart rate comes down, your blood pressure comes down, you start sleeping better. You start to learn how to see thoughts come up while you're meditating, but you don't react to them. Okay, I got to sit here for 20 minutes. So mm-hmm. even if this urge comes up to do something or say something, or, you don't. You just let it float across the screen and you you keep sitting. So that part of it became very important to me. And then somehow I ended up in a Kundalini yoga class one day. That was actually next level because now you are starting to work with mantra. So mantra means repeating. It, it's directing the mind, basically, is what you're doing. So saying a mantra over and over again, just even saying the mantra, I am loved, for example, like saying that 10 times before you go to bed, right? What intention does that create for us? And we're way outside of genomics and data analysis at this point. But this is another leg on the stool that has to be addressed. If we're talking about how do we help someone holistically, how do we then also help them on on the psycho-spiritual meditative aspects of their health? And um, that's a whole other domain of expertise right there. That, but it is so important. It's almost, I think, a keystone in health. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are here for a transient amount of time in this physical body. Mm-hmm. We have a body. We are not the body. Mm-hmm. We have the body to interact with this three-dimensional world that we are having experiences in and learning lessons in. Mm-hmm. But we are a body. Mm-hmm. are a soul, a spirit. And I think it was Rumi that said, when we are still and quiet, we hear more. Because it is a matter of silencing the noise of the world around us to be able to tap into that higher self, that higher spirit, the connectedness of all that is. And I mean, even Einstein, the... Uh, getting into quantum physics and quantum entanglement of entanglement. Spooky action at a distance. There you go. (laughs) And it's just like, that goes to show you the connectedness. Totally. 
But we need to stop the noise. We need to quiet the brain, get into that parasympathetic state, that state of oh, that's healing, almost impossible of creativity. It is. We're constantly bombarded. Why... This phone on my desk doesn't stop pinging me for God's green earth. I'm on 80,000 Zoom calls. When the hell am I going to sit down and do this, right? Our society is not engineered that way. Ah, okay, wait a minute. When am I going to do this? You are removing your authority and allowing others to impinge upon that. I mean, you I do it, but I'm, I'm saying yeah. people in general, they don't even uh, yeah. know that they need to go sit down and do this for their own health. And they're right. bombarded with stimulation. This phone mm -hmm. is engineered by engineers to make you on this thing as much as humanly possible. Oh, so yeah. you're already playing from behind. But this is where the education comes in to make them aware. Make them aware of this craziness that they are being sucked into being manipulated by purposefully fear so attention absolutely mm -hmm. that and really working the psychological aspects of it and the marketing aspects of using awesome. colors and sounds and it is amazing how much energy and time that they have put into this yeah. But when they know this and they're being like, oh, I'm being manipulated here. I am going to take my time, my energies, my sovereignty back and say, Hallelujah. You know this is going to empower me to say, you know what? Start seeing myself have five minutes turning into an hour on the phone, put it down, set it aside. Hey, we lived, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. We didn't have cell phones. We used to go outside and play in the woods and everything and be gone all day. Our parents just yeah. knew we were out playing, just be home by darker when you got hungry. Yeah. It's like, we survived. I'm still here. I'm, Me I'm too. not a serial killer. I wasn't, you know, it's good. But it's taking that time to get back out in nature, to stop, to pause, to allow ourselves to be able to hear to hear the sound of the birds, to hear the wind, to pay attention and become inspired because it is in that time, like I said, that parasympathetic state, yes. um, activating the vagal tone, yeah. that we are in that healing state, but also in the state of creativity that An we insight. can actually, you bet, tap into something beyond. Yeah. So we just need to learn how to do that. And so many people are so afraid to be silent or be by themselves because they've been inundated and it's so foreign. And usually that foreign and unknown is very scary. So this is where the education to empower them to say, you know what, you'll be okay. Try it. Start a little bit at a time, work into it. And everything else downstream starts to fix itself. Yeah, I think... That part of the program and the protocol, I think, is often underappreciated or not included because how do you even set someone down as a path of looking inward and slowing down and being introspective? That's a set of skills that, that needs to be taught as well, just as much yes. as it is how to read the Genomics. The point of the whole story is that it's part of the equation that we build for each individual person. And when you're sitting across from someone, you're talented enough to know that this is something I should address as part of the conversation with this individual. But maybe I don't see that so much as urgent with, with that. So it's all part of the diagnostic process at some yeah. level, and then also part of the prescription, just to use that word in terms of how we're going to yeah. help people. Well, it's Optimize. it's also learning how to listen. 
Mm-hmm. Really listening to that person sitting in front of you, listening to the words and the metaphors that they use. Yeah. Being able to extract the information to see what is truly important to them. Where are the issues? Because I will say, and I got this from Sachin Patel, the issues are in the tissues. <laughs> and if those are not addressed, yeah, you can change all the different nutrition and certain lifestyle things. But if you're not addressing the issues that they are holding inside, then they're not truly going to get better. Well, we don't have good tools right now for psycho-spiritual medicine. They exist, but they're not something we can just take a pill for. It's like, well, I should back that statement up. There are promising indications Uh, for for things like low-dose psilocybin, and ayahuasca um, th- therapy assisted mdma therapy assisted psilocybin where you can go to a safe space with a licensed and trained practitioner mm-hmm. and you know there's examples of people who have relinquished alcoholism after one journey with psilocybin because actually alcoholism was a symptom of the problem which was a, an unresolved trauma you know yeah. so like i've seen this stuff happen in one night So those tools are coming. I want to caveat that, but people will have their own stance on how they they choose to accept that or not. But it's happening whether we want to accept it or not, especially here. A lot of that stuff's being fast tracked by the FDA. So um, I think there's really encouraging developments there for psychospiritual medicine as part of the program. And this really works into the holistic aspect. We have to take the person at mind, body, spirit, the Mm -hmm. entire package because every component is important because everything is connected. Mm-hmm. So, damn. Yeah. Well, uh, we could probably keep jamming here for hours, but this was <laughs> awesome, Laura. This was exactly the conversation I wanted to have. And for a heads up, if you're listening and you're a, a practitioner on our system, hopefully this gives you some inspiration or ideas on where the genetic component plays into it. You know, it really starts at the foundation level. What deck of cards, what hand of cards did this person get? And how do I design a way to get them optimal based on all of that information, everything we covered here, starting with genetics down to lifestyle, environment, psychospiritual health. And that's really, really the type of healthcare that we want to see exist and thrive in the world. It's not for everybody. There's it's expensive, you know, it's not covered by insurance. You know, there's a million reasons why this is hard for lots of people, but it has to start somewhere. And like anything, it starts at a level where there are people who have the abilities and the means to ex- make it accessible. And then it comes down market and it, it becomes more accessible. And when it starts to work and the outcomes are there, then you start to see the larger systems start to integrate this kind of thing. And there's some of the largest healthcare health systems in the country now have integrative medicine departments and uh, nutritional therapy departments. And so it will happen. You know, we're kind of out there really pushing at the frontier, but making the information available, all it takes is a spark for someone listening to get set down the path. So at some level, that's, that's what we're providing. But this is exactly what I hoped we could share Dr. Lara. So if uh, you're listening, Dr. Lara, and you're an individual or a practitioner and they want to connect with you, I know you do a lot of practitioner training. Some of it is one-on-one, some of it is group, some of it is... What I love about what the DNA company is doing and partly why I wanted you here is because for practitioners, they're providing the education and the training in a standardized way. So um, 
how do interested practitioners get involved? I know you mentioned at the beginning, but just in closing here, for people who want more information from you or from the DNA Company's practitioner programs. Okay, you can go to thednacompany.com on our website. You can actually take a look and uh, go in. There is a section for practitioners. You can also email clientcare at thednacompany.com. You can also uh, find me at my Instagram at drvarden, V as in Victor, A-R-D-E-N, official. We also have our Instagram for the DNA company. Oh, I don't want to misspeak. You know what? Let's put that in the show notes. But they can also access us on YouTube. They can just look up the DNA company. We have a YouTube channel where we have our webinars. We have our podcast, the DNA Talks podcast. A lot of different ways to access me, to access the DNA company. And if they have any other questions, we'll also put some other links in the show notes to make sure that they have different ways and the correct, (laughs) making sure that they have the correct links, you know, to get this information. Well, it's massively complicated, right? Like there's all the genetic stuff. Then then there's a whole nother universe of things in the microbiome to understand. And like, there's just so many things that's, this becomes a, a massive AI use case at the end of the day. But for now, we're working with what we have. This was awesome, Dr. Lara. I can't wait to see you again at the next conference, wherever our travels take us. Are you going to A4M by any chance? Oh, no, I'm not going to be going to A4M. Actually, uh, Dr. Krista Kosterman and Dr. Bryce Wild will be there. So Okay, I'll have to connect with them if you can. Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, and I'll, I'll tell hi. you that. Get um, them nice and drunk I... if you're not going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to be able, you know, to hop on another session podcast with you and maybe even go over your results and kind of give your. Let's uh, do it. Your um, people an idea of what does one of these sessions look like? How do we break that down and, and take a I'm look down. at it? I'm down. Let's get the testing so, done and let's. Let's go through it. Like I said, I've channeled all my crazy genes into entrepreneurship. <laughs> I'm <laughs> like, this is the healthiest place for me. I'm just going to go here. Yeah. So I'd be happy to like walk through a, like a typical console. I think that'd be super fun. So let's tee that up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you to your audience for listening to your brilliance, the information that you provide on your podcast, on your platforms. I am so excited to start navigating through that. I've already taken a peek and actually listened to some of your other uh, podcast episodes. So just brilliant. I I love your energy and you are such an awesome guy and a great hugger. (laughs) Feeling is mutual, Dr. Lara. Well, I'll let you go here. It's uh, Friday afternoon. I'm sure you got tons of other client consults and all, all the other good stuff you're doing in the world. So thank you on behalf of Heads Up. Dr. Lara, and we'll look forward to having you back again sometime soon. Beautiful. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio. 